0: Hello there, and welcome to episode number 355 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I am Sarah Wendell, and this episode features Kat Mayo and Rudy Bremer. Now, both Kat and I share a birthday this week. So first of all, happy birthday, Kat. And second, we're going to party All about romance and romance podcasting in Australia. Kat and Rudy are the team behind the Book Thingo podcast, which is an Australian podcast about romance fiction. And I've known both of them for several years. Our conversation goes everywhere. We talk about podcasting, how to get a show done, what podcasting and the podcasting community is like in Australia. We also talk about Kat's trip to Manila to meet and interview different romance class authors And we talk about representing and discussing nuance in indigenous Australian writing. We also take a deep dive into kinship rules and how many amazing romance series could be written in different kinship communities. Now, I have a couple of notes about content. If you're not sure what we mean by kinship relationships, I have links in the show notes to explain what it is that we're talking about. And of course, I'll have links to their podcast because obviously you're going to want to listen to it, right? Right. Obviously. Now, given that it is Kat's birthday week and my birthday week, everybody gets a present. This podcast episode is being brought to you by The Friend Zone by Abby Jimenez, and it is brought to life by the brilliant dual narration of Teddy Hamilton and Aaron Mallon. And if you stay tuned to the end of the episode, we have a special sample of the audiobook, so you can get a taste of what the book is like. If you like Penny Reed, Helen Huang, slow burn romances rom-coms or just stories where the hero and heroine actually like each other scandalous we know this is the audiobook for you after years of debilitating periods and fibroids Kristen has decided that a hysterectomy is the only way to improve her quality of life but when Josh shares his dream of having a big family Kristen is convinced that she has no other choice but to put him in the friend zone The Friend Zone is the perfect summer romance that also honors women's health challenges and the wide-ranging emotions and pain that come along with them, while reminding us that regardless of what society expects from women, all of us deserve love. The Friend Zone by Abby Jimenez is available wherever audiobooks are sold. You can find out more at authorabbyjimenez.com and get your oral romance fix from Hachette Audio. And I want you to know that I practiced how I was going to say oral, like six times. I almost thought that like, you know, a full on Brooklyn, like oral would be good, but we went with that one. So that's A-U-R-A-L, oral. If you have supported the show with a pledge of any amount to our podcast Patreon, thank you very, very much. You are keeping the show going. You are helping me transcribe every episode so that every episode is accessible. If you would like to join our Patreon community, we do lots of nifty stuff. Have a look at patreon.com smart bitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 a month. And if what we do has value and you pledge a dollar or any amount, we are deeply appreciative. Thank you very, very much. And I have a compliment to Brandy B. You have made people laugh so hard that years later they still remember the absolute delight that you caused. So don't stop cracking people up. At the end of this episode, as I mentioned, I will have a sample, an audiobook sample of The Friend Zone by Abby Jimenez. I will also have information about the music you are listening to. And of course, in the show notes, I will have links to everything that we talk about. And holy smokes, I am looking at my show notes. We talked about a lot of things. So we should get started with the talking about of things, right? Obviously. All right, let's do this podcast. On with Rudy Bremmer and Kat Mayo from BookThingo.
1: I'm Kat Mayo. I am a blogger and podcaster at BookThingo.com.au, um, which is a website that focuses on, well, we started focusing on romance fiction for Australian readers, but I think... Romance is so international now that it's more like Australian concerns about international romance books. Interesting. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's new for me.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rudy, for the support.
2: <laughs> yeah. um, I'm Rudy Is that Bremer. what we're doing? <laughs> I'm Rudy Bremer. I'm the producer of Book Thingo, so I do kind of the technical side of things, Um I am a Camilleroy woman um and I my day job is in radio broadcast
0: can you please explain for the many Americans who will not understand what being is it Gamilla
2: Gamillaroy so close Gamillaroy is the language dude
0: <laughs> so i'm accidental so accidental kind of right yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> um so what is Gamillaroy so Gamillaroy is um one of many Aboriginal nations, uh, here in Australia where one of the larger, I think we're the second largest in New South Wales, which is Southeast of Australia. Um, so my, it gets really kind of weird if you don't geographically understand Australia, like my, my people are Northeast New South Wales, which is Southeast of the entire country. <laughs> so I don't right. know if that helps. <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it's interesting when you look at a map of Australia because you have Queensland, New South Wales, um, and then you have, you know, Victoria things with names. And then it's Victoria, right? Yeah. And then it's like, all right, we're, we're really bored. What do we call the rest of it? How about Western Australia, <laughs> Northern Australia? Oh, yeah. We... That works. All right, cool. <laughs> so creative. Like someone got bored and was like, screw these names. Let's go West, and North. Done. I mean, even like
2: clearly there's a bit of um... – laziness as far as the way that the states are divided because that's some very straight lines going on like those aren't weirdly that's not the way that our nations actually divided up country like we didn't sort of get a ruler out and go like point a to point b like what? we follow i know weird <laughs> we follow geographical so it's, when i talk about being like new, a new south wales nation um, I mean, it's not technically true. We, we move up into Queensland as well, but my family are pretty solidly in New South Wales.
0: So what led you guys into podcasting? One of the things I want to do um, is start talking to other podcasters, because for a really long time, there weren't that many podcasts in romance. And um, you guys have been doing this for a really
1: long time. What led you into doing podcasts? So originally, I was thinking of doing um, video blogs. So I Sarah, you were in our very first episode, and if I I you was. recall, we recorded that on video. And then I was Ew, like,
0: it "I is- wore <laughs> lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: well, never do." The thing is, i I took it from like such a bad angle. I think I'd had had half the table in in the in the view, and then like sort of looking up our nostrils. Like it was just so weird. And I just thought, I'm pretty sure I don't have the talent or the eye for video. And also, the post production was just so much work. Um, so I thought, oh, maybe podcast would be better, But it wasn't until <laughs> I mentioned it to Rudy maybe like two or three years later. And she's like, I could help you with that. and then I and I was like, Yes, please, because I've had this audio this file now for years, and I still haven't managed to edit it and get it out. Yeah, Kat had recorded five episodes,
2: or <laughs> I think it was three, three interviews that she wanted to were going to be broken down into part one, part two. So there was five right. episodes total. And she'd done nothing with them <laughs> yeah. other than write really diligent edit notes like this needs to come I out. Remember and remember that. Said, oh, my God. <laughs> no, because I I distinctly remember we we didn't know each other very well at that point point. Um, and it just was kind of we were at the ARA Awards Night.
1: The Australian Romance Readers Awards Night. Yeah.
2: yeah. And so we were sitting on the same table because we've got a lot of mutual friends and – Somewhere between a few drinks, um, we had got talking about podcasting and I was doing quite a technical job with not a lot of creative outlet, but I had done a lot of community radio at that point. So I was like, look, I'm so bored. I just like give it to me and I will play with it. And then I got sent the audio and then also these really diligent notes that I just sort of looked at and was like, I had to, I had to edit the audio backwards to, a, oh, like, to be able to make her notes make sense because as soon as I made a cut yeah. the time code didn't match anymore and so then I couldn't find the things she's talking about and I was trying to be really polite because we didn't know each other too well. But and actually that-
1: <laughs> in hindsight those notes were for me if I had to do the editing but most of that is just pretty natural to Rudy because she's been doing it so long and um, she's um, even at that point when you were do- doing community radio, She would have already known to cut most of the stuff that I had in the notes.
2: Well, yeah. So there was, I don't quite remember where it is in like the production of the show, but there is a point at which I kind of was like, (laughs) love. (laughs) Kat, you don't need to send these to me. Like, how about I do cuts? You listen to it. And if you (laughs) don't like it... (laughs) then you tell me what else to take out.
1: That's how our friendship deepened. (laughs) But honestly, like, I don't actually remember many things. So even if I sent her a whole bunch of notes, I wouldn't remember what I said to her, what what I sent to her. And so if she came back to me with only half of those things done, I probably wouldn't even notice.
2: (laughs) I actually am too scared to, like, go back to the first (laughs) few episodes because I'm not sure that I would... I I feel like I would want to re-edit them and I don't think that I should, but it's, it's an impulse. Like I always want to fix.
0: Yeah. I don't want to go back to my first early episode (laughs) because I know there's one where someone recommended some audio thing for me to use to do like a final polish of the, the terrible edit I'd done. And it ended up making it sound like we were running around the microphone in circles so the voice would go oh. from the right around the front to oh, the left wow, and then yeah. behind you and then around. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know how I did that so I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many. Just have to let it go. <laughs> there's so many things that people
2: will say like, oh, just run it through this system. Yes, yeah, and so so we Kat went through and this I as well. Some, some very interesting conversations where <laughs> she's like, I-, I heard that if you use this it'll like, you know, I can't remember what. Like oh, it'll good, denoise. That's what we were. Or we level can, the
1: volume or something. Something yeah. like
2: that. And I, I think the first time I let her do it, I listened back and I was like, it hurts my ears and if you do this again, as God is my witness, I will quit.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so we haven't done it. It's all done
1: by me. To be fair, I was trying to lighten Rudy's workload <laughs> because if we could find a tool to do this, then she wouldn't have to, you know.
2: Like manually sit fiddle there around and with level, it, yes. level everything. <laughs>
1: But no, it didn't work. And actually, I'm a a member of um, a podcast uh, group in Facebook and somebody asked about this tool and basically my comment was, well, I used it once and my audio producer threatened to quit if I ever used it again.
2: (laughs) It took all the bass out. (laughs) Which is like that's where you get the really lovely kind of tones of people's voices. Like in those low levels, that's when people are comfortable. Like you drop your voice when you're comfortable. So to take it out, it makes it quite unpleasant to listen to.
0: That's a little oh, bit of really technical know-how for you. That's really, really interesting. Wow. So it helps basically if you're going to start a podcast to hook up with a friend who does radio professionally. <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> absolutely. Because honestly, to my ears, it was no different whatsoever. I was like, oh, okay.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> well, considering that I have learned everything that I've done by – figuring it out on my own Um, I'm I'm really gonna have to go find myself some radio friends like I I have failed in this department
2: no 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 but like I mean I figured out most of what I'm doing um, through trial and error as well like it's because community radio is an interesting space to play Um, the stakes are quite low though because there's not a huge audience listing and they are quite aware of the fact that, like, the people that are working in this um, radio station are volunteers, so they're not being paid. Um, They're probably learning in some capacity. Whether it's that they're learning how to present or whether they're learning how to edit or, like, whatever. So, like, there's a little bit more sort of forgiveness happening, but at the same time, like, you're you're kind of – your peers who are helping you, like, learn something new they've also learned to either through experimentation or like, yeah, or mistakes. I I've oh, had yes. the I've biggest learning from, from
0: mistakes. Oh gosh. Yes. I have learned so many terrible things. What not to do from having screwed up <laughs> yeah. or having done edits in a place where the files weren't properly backed up. So I had to start over. Oh, That's the worst.
2: Yeah. Oh, I feel you. Actually, I don't know if you've ever done it before, but like getting a good way through a really good interview and realizing you've not recorded. Like, yes. And then having to I'm, try and recapture that.
0: Yeah. Like, oh, yes. That's a few it's times. the worst. <laughs> and I've also had it happen where um for whatever reason and I've never figured out what I did wrong my side did not record, but the other person's did. Oh, so there no. would be these long blocks of silence where I was running my full mouth and then they wouldn't say something brilliant. <laughs> so I would have to go back like right after I recorded it, because if I didn't do it right then, there was no way I was going to remember. And then I would have to like, like you said, edit backwards. I'd have to listen to what they said and be like, what the hell did I ask them to get them to say <laughs> that? And I would oh. have to re-record my portion.
2: Oh. with like the same kind of energy and inflection and yeah like general yeah oh I've done a few sneaky ones of those before for like
0: and I can't sound real. like I'm like what did I say I think <laughs> I asked you about this maybe oh. I don't know like I just sound ever, like I'm actually in that conversation do you ever script those moments I script my intro and my outro because otherwise there was one time recently I was trying to do my intro. I hit record and I couldn't remember the name of my own show. (laughs) 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 I got there like, hi, this is Sarah Wendell and my, what is the name of my podcast? Because I was going to work off script that, no. That's really interesting because
1: I I, I thought you were making it up as you went and I actually did. At one point, probably try to do this. I'm pretty sure I didn't send the audio to Rudy because it was just so terrible. And I vowed never to do that again.
2: Shall I remind (laughs) you? I was going to remind Kat of one interaction that we had where I sent her a message and said, Can you please learn how to use contractions? so you can speak like a normal person because I'm a very supportive producer and I give very um, kind critiques oh, um, but sometimes to... I don't get it
1: so learned she to... has to be
2: really blunt <laughs> so learn to speak like a normal human <laughs> and use contractions and she wrote back to me I do not know what you mean it's like <laughs> you.
0: <laughs> no my intro and my outro are usually script I work with bullet points for like what is it we talked about I'll go back and write those but For the most part, I have major points that I'm working off of in a a sort of a bulleted casual list. So the actual stringing it in one whole sentence is somewhat extemporaneous, but I can't do that without the reminders of what I'm trying to say. It's the same thing if I'm giving a speech or if I'm moderating. I need to have the notes in front of me. Otherwise, I'll be like, so um, why are we here? (laughs) What, what year is it? What is my name? I don't know.
2: <laughs> I do this thing where I will write out if I'm giving a speech in particular, I will write the entire speech out verbatim. And then once I actually get there, I don't ever look at my notes because in my head, I've it's like I've done the act of writing it. And now I don't need it because I know that it's there in my brain.
0: Wow. But yeah, My brain, my brain does not have that strength. I will write everything out and then bullet point it and then practice it and then go back and look at the original draft and be like, yeah, I managed to remember almost everything I said in the first place. Good job, brain. <laughs>
2: well, when I'm, when I'm doing recordings though, like if I actually am sitting in front of a microphone, pretty much other than like, you know, if we're sort of having an actual conversation kind of style, everything is scripted, like, and I will do multiple takes. And so cat has had to do her intros in front of me sometimes and I'll be like Mm-mm, again.
1: <laughs> That's always the most it's the most interesting when there are three of us and Gabby's just watching us and I just feel so judged. I'm <laughs> just like this is too much pressure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am really lucky that on the days that I edit it's just like my cats yeah. <laughs> and they just unilaterally think I suck so it's <laughs> fine. So what have you aside from the mistakes that you've learned? I'm curious about what podcasting is like as a community in Australia. Because in the in the US, there are so many white dude podcasts. And I've seen it, the joke so many times that a group of white dudes is called a podcast. <laughs> that's
2: my favorite like, joke.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I have had moments where like some guy that I meet like at um, my kids' music lessons or whatever, be like, oh, yeah, I just started a podcast. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I have one too. He's like, yeah, I talk about Game of Thrones and football. And I have like seven episodes. He's like, how many do you have? 328 (laughs) and just sort of blinks at me like that's a thing you can do yeah (laughs) because is podcasting as white and male in Australia as it seems to be so much in the U.S.
2: I think I have a somewhat skewed view of it partly because I'm working in radio as a day job so my my circle of people are podcasters is actually going to be different yeah like but I also I gravitate towards um, people of colour and and particularly women of colour who are making podcasts. And I sort of have forgotten about the fact that men make podcasts, except for the fact that I do have a rule that I don't tell guys that I. this is a thing that I do when I'm like getting to know them because I don't actually want to hear about their boring <laughs> podcast idea that is just like – there was one boy who tried to tell me about this idea he had that was going to be – Um, you know, he works in hospitality, so he's going to do like a, like a, um, etiquette podcast for, you know, like, and it, and at first I was like, okay, I can see like how you could make this kind of cute and, and cool. And then it was, I was like, so what kind of, what kind of etiquette, like what kind of stories? And it was stuff like, if you read the newspaper, like fold it and put it back. And I'm like, that's not, mm -mm." I'm not listening to fifteen episodes of that no
1: so for me I think um, my view of Australian podcasting as a community is that it's quite it's quite dominated by broadcast um, so a lot of the um, most popular podcasts that are Australian produced are really produced by either um, radio or um, you know print media with a sort of a podcast. Um, uh, show like an, an extension or a, a like a special series, um, and it's interesting because we have a podcast. Um, it's almost a convention every year, but Ooh. it's actually run by um, the 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 ABC, which is our public broadcaster. And so yeah. when and and they do try to select sort of independent podcasters from from overseas, but a lot of the like uh, tips of the trade, a lot of the perspective is still. A, um, from broadcasting. So that makes it a little bit difficult for the smaller niche podcasts to really get as much value out of it than you would in something, you know, like the U S runs a lot of independent, um, podcast conventions and events and, and networking events. Um, so I think in Australia, the indie scene for podcasting is still quite small, quite, um, disparate I would say we haven't all found each other yet and and have had had a chance to see what everyone's doing well yeah because like I was thinking about this the other day
2: Hannah McGregor from um Our Witch Please and Secret Feminist Agenda was kind of talking about how like podcasts are the what did she say she's like they're the only medium left that harkens back to the original promise of the internet in that kind of anyone can do it and there's no – there's not many barriers. Monetary concerns aren't necessarily a barrier. And then I, I started to think about that because my first instinct is to be like, yeah, podcasts are the best. And then I was like, but you've got to be able to afford the equipment. You've got to have the technical know-how to, like, actually, you know, do it, get it up online somewhere. And then podcasts start with this is – Like industry speak now, but podcasts start with an audience of zero. You can put something out there and have no one listen. And the way that you find your audience is to kind of actually get in touch with people and say, hey, this is a thing that I'm doing that you might like. This idea that it's the great equalizer, like yes, but no. And I think that that's why, particularly in Australia, there's an overwhelming number of, um, of industry people who are successful as podcasters.
1: That discoverability factor. Like, yeah. I think that's pretty true. I mean, I you know, and, and especially when you narrow it down to books. Um, by the yeah. time you narrow it down to romance books, you've got like maybe two or three that either are focused on romance or that are friendly enough to romance that they would have romance authors as guests or, or talk about romance books. But even if you expand it out to just books, there's not that many. And I think their audiences don't really, um, I don't know that, that our audiences all overlap because we don't really talk about each other's podcasts because we don't really know about each other's podcasts. Like I'm still discovering a lot of um, book-related pos- podcasts that are hosted by Australian hosts. Kat,
0: you have done a few episodes with the Romance Class Writers in Manila, yes. which by the way, speaking of listening to things that are in your field, those were so cool. Those were so cool. Um, I did an interview with Mina, uh, V.S. Guerra, which was really fun. Cause that's a 12 hour difference. So I, I was mm. like it was eight at night here and the morning there. And she's like, my daughter just went down for a nap. So let's do this. <laughs> and like, yes, time And nap time. So you did a bunch of episodes with the romance class in Manila. What was the response like to those episodes? Did you have a good
1: time? Um, I had an excellent time and there's such a generous community and I should actually, uh, I want to shout it back to you because actually I discovered, so Mina had been on my radar for a little while because every time I ask uh, friends or, um, you know, people on Facebook who are Filipino if they would recommend a Romance author who was writing, uh, sorry, an author, a Filipino author who was writing Romance, and Mina's name had come up a few times. But I, I sort of didn't really get a sense that there was a, I wasn't sure if it was like Romance Romance or like other people's idea of Romance. So it wasn't until um, Alyssa Cole was on your podcast and she started talking mm-hmm. about the romance class community that I thought, well, I really should get on this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I haven't been doing my job properly. Um, and then sort of it snowballed from that. Um, and when I told Mina that I was going to the Philippines and asked her if, you know, she was interested in having some of the authors interviewed, um, she was very excited and she, they were very generous with their time. Um, to the point where I think the second time I visited, we were able to get the some of their actors who do the live readings to record um, some extracts for the podcast, which is fun. quite, yes. Uh, but it, it also, it was really funny. It was really fun because I really wanted to understand the feeling of the audience as they were listening to some of these live readings. Because when you watch them on um, YouTube, sometimes you're like, there's a lot of excitement in, in this room and like... But once you're there in person and you're listening to someone reading out some of the more um not necessarily sexual but intimate scenes in a in a romance novel, you do get that sense of, ooh, <laughs> feeling a bit odd. <laughs> it's right. A bit thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, that that the romance class community um does such an excellent job of um um, uplifting their authors, both their existing stable of, um, authors and the new ones sort of emerging from the community. And I think they're really, anytime that they can, um, they, they, they have, uh, um, the potential to bring those books in front of a new audience or a new set of readers, they're always really happy to help. I think they're doing so well. So I'm really, I'm really excited for what new works are going to come out of that community. Do you have any recommendations that you like tell people about? Yes, but I keep recommending the same books and I feel like I need to read more so that like I don't feel like I'm... So Iris After the Incident is my number one recommendation. That's by Mina Villas-Guerra. That recommendation has not failed me. Not a single person that I've recommended to has come back and said, I didn't like that book. Everybody has um, raved about that book. Um, But but I think she's also one of the most... um, I want to say mature, but (laughs) I don't mean that she's old, but that she's been writing for quite a while. So I think her style is now quite mature um, and she has a very good um, understanding of the romance community and uh, the way that we portray heroes and heroines. So she does some very deliberate things in her books that I find really fascinating. Um, de los Reyes writes about... um, heroes and heroines, mostly heroines, that are in, the, in, in science doing scientific research. So anyone who has a science background I think will find her books really fascinating. Um, and then Carla de Guzman writes about um, heroines who are plus size. Um, so I think um, those three are pretty solid writers. And, and I love Prep and Prejudice by Mirren um, B. Flores and i wish she would write a little bit more because i think she's only got a few books um under her belt but that one i really loved have you read
0: uh mina viasquera's kiss and cry no not yet
2: it's i've i've okay. got it it's on my tbr but i haven't have this you is, this is the it's ice so, getting well yeah.
1: so the thing yeah. with mina's books is i have them on reserve for when i like need something that I just know is going to make me happy, so I I I so don't like your
0: comfort reads.
1: Yeah, so I don't want to use up all my comfort reads in one time. <laughs> so so she's on my cute. Like I've got a lot. I've bought a lot of her books, but I haven't read them because I'm reserving them for when I just really need something that I know is going to work. I will tell you the thing I love about Kiss and
0: Cry is that it is very hyper focused on the couple that the they met and had a very brief attraction. And now it's 10 years later, she was a a world champion figure skater for the Philippines. And he played for the Filipino national team all over the place, but his family moved, emigrated to America. So he has to keep quitting jobs in the U S to go back to the Philippines to play hockey. And then he'll go back and find another job teaching. And then he'll quit and go back to the Philippines. And that there's this wonderful tension between the characters between being diaspora or in home and, Are you staying or are you going? And do you belong here? Do you not belong here? Because you've been over there for so long. And she's like, this is all temporary. And I'm here to just, you know, stick it to my parents who told me I couldn't, you know, date you because I had to be focused on my skating career. Well, now my skating career is done and you're here. So let's do this great, you know, temporary. It's all temporary. It's not real. It's not temporary. It's totally real. (laughs) Um, So there's this, this true and false Uh, tension of their relationship. Like, is this just a temporary thing? Because he's about to go back to the States. And then there's also this, where do I belong? Do I belong here? Do I belong there? Or do I just belong with you? And then it doesn't matter. And there are some like lines in there where I'm like, okay, and then bam, right in the field.
1: (laughs) Well, I I really love that. um, I've seen some of the commentary around this because I haven't read it myself, but I've seen some of the reviews that have come out. Um, and I think um, one of the effects of having authors of colour um, a bit more, um, sorry, I, I just want to word this um, carefully. So one of the um, great things about the fact that authors of colour are being um, lifted up in terms of um, discoverability and people talking about their books mm-hmm. is that we're starting to see these um, conversations in romance um through their books about um, people who aren't just culturally affixed in one place um, so mm-hmm. because romance for a long time has reflected uh, Western culture pretty much exclusively um, now that we're see- and and we've sort of uh, we, we also now have books that are reflecting non-western cultures um, but I think books who reflect both and that struggle of um, you know, so I'm I'm first slash second. I can't I can never really tell. But like I was born in the Philippines, but I grew up here. So that whole world of um finding your place in one culture mm-hmm. or another, sitting between two cultures, and um some of the implications that has that on on how you build relationships, that's been missing in romance for a while. And I it's something that I didn't even realize was missing until I started reading books that I could then go, oh my gosh, this actually really was like stuff that I've experienced. And it's not, it's really strange because you don't realise there's a gap until you read the gap and then you're like, yeah, that has been missing.
2: Because you compensate for it in other ways. I mean, I have yet to read a romance novel that has an Aboriginal uh, main character that I particularly enjoy. Um, I know that there are some out there. I have to admit that if it's not written by an Aboriginal author, I'm probably not going to read it because I just don't know that. Um, I don't know how to say this without being like an absolute asshole. But like, I, I there's there's a fluency, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I don't know that Australian rom- the Australian romance scene is quite. Um, ready to write an Aboriginal main character in the way that I I need them to. Oh, my God.
0: I'll just write one for you. It will be the most terrible, inaccurate, worst thing you've ever seen. And I will do too much research and you'll just be like, oh, my God, why did you do this? And I'll be like, because I wanted to cause a diplomatic incident. That's why. Speaking of things I am not qualified to do. No, I completely understand. There's a lack of fluency and understanding of cultural nuance that is missing when you are from the outside looking in on a, on a cultural situation, it's not yeah. easy to be like, okay, check this box, check this box, check this box. Okay, we're good. Like, I struggle with that just trying to write Jews in America. Do you have any idea how mm. much Jews disagree with each other about things? <laughs> yeah. Like, I was <laughs> at synagogue today. We had a discussion, and it was like, we could have gone for like three hours and we we're talking about one thing. Um, so, like, even, even representing Jewish experience in America, I'm like, wow, underqualified on so many levels. There's kind of when you're marginalized, like
2: your your culture, your group, your you know whoever. Mm-hmm. I kind of treated as this homogenized kind of you know thing, and that all of you must believe in this particular you know I don't know it, it like I was about to get really political and um but like niche politics switch. no no well I mean I don't know that it translates because it's like
0: <laughs> you know. Listen, um, I think we even isn't the NRA now running around Australia like do you think oh my god my it, gosh. it is
2: it's hectic. Um I also <laughs> I also have to be really careful because like technically I shouldn't um be airing opinions like this. I mean, You're I don't technically think a technically technically uh, it's not my job. Um yeah. Uh just sort of as a side note, there's this kind of discussion in Australia about constitutional recognition. So, recognizing um, the Aboriginal, well, Indigenous people, because Indigenous in Australia refers to Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people, because we actually have two different groups of Indigenous I mean, it's the
0: people. Torres Strait. And, and yeah. They're so, uh, they're the ones who speak,
2: um, is it Mirian Mir? The language? That's one of. There's a few languages. Yeah. Oh my God, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's um Kalakauaya. <laughs> And Miriamir are like the main um I think there's I think maybe Arab is also right. But they're not considered aboriginal. No, so they're they're a different indigenous group entirely. Um so the islands of the Torres Strait sit between the tip of Australia and um Papua New Guinea. And kind of culturally speaking, they are actually kind of a little bit more Melanesian. Um, as opposed to like mainland Aboriginal people, like there's there is a difference and there's a reason that they call themselves Torres Strait and don't don't um, want to be called Aboriginal. Um, okay. So with that technicalness, that gets complicated. <laughs> so they're they're in and of itself, you know, because people will say Indigenous, and they probably for the most part I would say that when people say Indigenous, they actually are only meaning Aboriginal. Which is why I get a little bit kind of um, touchy about this. Like, if you mean Aboriginal, say Aboriginal. If you mean Indigenous, if you mean Aboriginal and Torres Strait, say Indigenous. If you mean Torres Strait, Torres Strait Islander, like call them that. This is such a weird tangent, but like, this is <laughs> and this. But this is the thing. Like, I I don't see that nuance in the same way that like, if you mean a Murray person which is a type of Aboriginal, like, then that's who you mean. If I, like, if I'm going to identify myself, I'm going to be a Gamilaroi woman. Like, cause, right. Like there, there's a difference between being a Gamilaroi person who is, you know, East coast, well, inland, but, and being, like, Bunaba, which is over in Western Australia. Like, We've got very different experiences of colonization. We've got very different histories. Culturally, we're quite different. Um, And it's it's important to recognize and respect the nuance of that. And that's what doesn't happen, as far as I can tell, with Aboriginal main characters or Aboriginal characters. In romance novels, when I've encountered them, kind of what you end up doing as, you know, the 15, 16 year old who's like decided that they love romance and it's absolutely that their genre and they've found their home. Is you start looking for yourself in within kind of the genre in totally different
1: ways. And so you let those like sure I wanted to be a redhead with violet eyes for a very long time. <laughs> is this <Yeah>. Everyone <laughs> it's just the ideal long flowing Titian hair. And violet oh, it's eyes. Always
0: red with purple eyes. Always. <laughs> always. I get to meet an actual person with this color combination that wasn't like in some way enhanced by But look, influence. honestly,
1: so in Romance Class, um on Twitter, we've had a few of these threads where we talk about even within the authors, even within own voices, sometimes those um internalized um uh stereotypes come out. So I have read oh, yeah. Um, books written by own voices where, you know, the heroine will have or the hero will have, I don't know, green eyes or hazel eyes and when you look at what you would need in your genetic tree to get to that <laughs> point where you get that eye colour, sometimes it's really it's possible but it's really convoluted and also you then question, you're like, well, why is it that this particular eye colour is a thing that we've chosen for the hero or heroine? When ninety percent of people just have like beautiful brown eyes, like what's wrong with that? Um, and and Rudy and I have sort of occasionally um, joked that you know we wish we had a romance class for Australia because That's there's not so a much. Joke, I well, one. You, you know, sort of uh, in 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 while we're conversing about like ideal sort of books, because you know Australia, it's very <laughs> like the local fiction is very non diverse. Um, there's a lot of, you know, rural fiction and rural fiction with romantic elements has been really popular for a while now, but you would struggle to find a non-white character in any of those. And it's not like non-white people don't live in rural communities. They do, but they're just not represented in these books.
2: Oh my God. Like if you actually go to rural Australia, like those are predominantly Aboriginal, like towns. Um, it's not reflected in rural romance that is written by Australians it just it blows my mind and cuz i i mean you know not that i hadn't spent time in rural areas before cuz my mom is a country girl she's like she moved to the city and married my dad and and he's very solidly a coastal kind of person so he um he's white bless his heart um <laughs> but <laughs>
0: I thought I'd I thought I'd call that out. <laughs> He's <laughs> white, bless his heart. Oh like, my gosh! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and but I like, follow you on Instagram. <laughs> you're in the country like all the time.
2: Yeah. Oh well, I actually I live I live near the Royal National Park, so it's it's bushland that's right next to the ocean. Um, and Man, my me. so my 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 hometown is like right there. My parents still live there. Um, so like my mum, you know, raised her family around the beach and the bush, and then when we actually go back to where she would call home, it's so like flat and dry and hot, and it's cotton chip and country, and like I had this really bizarrely romanticised idea of what that would mean. Like, cause she had these stories of when she was a teenager and she would go and like chip cotton. And I thought that I would go and do that at some point. Like I look back now and I'm just like, fuck as if. I was way too precious. There was no way I was going to work in a field. Like, (laughs) like, I I spent one summer helping my dad build a deck. And it was the most brutal experience that he and I have ever had together, like <laughs> because I had to, I don't know, because I had to like lift beams and carry them around and like take measure. It was a whole thing, <laughs> but like, <laughs> right. but yeah. So-, <laughs> <A whole thing. laughs> so, I I'm I spent a lot of time in rural areas in Australia because you know it's where my it's where my family are it's where my mum's family is for work reasons i moved to a rural town for a while it's incredibly racially diverse it's incredibly there's a there's a lot of blackfellas out there they're just not making it onto the pages of our room of our rural
1: romance novels like they're not weird. even secondary characters nope. or characters in passing it's You don't see them in the books, which I find really strange. Well, no, it
2: makes me, I don't read a lot of rural romance, but um, part of it is because it starts to make me think, oh, I know those people in those towns who don't engage with Aboriginal people. And, like, we call those racists. So it makes me (laughs) wonder what that, like, what is that saying about your character that they aren't engaged with anybody but white people in their town. like
0: it's a way of codifying white supremacy without saying yeah. it out,
2: right? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm very sure that the authors who are writing these don't mean to do that and they don't mean to imply that. But as a person of colour who is reading that, I can't help but draw can, like draw sort of parallels to what I know. And yeah. that's what I know.
1: Of course. There was a call for applications for a fellowship for Indigenous writers and I think it's a collaboration between Flinders University and Harlequin but Rudy really will correct me with facts if I'm wrong.
2: I will when I find it.
1: Um, and I think they're targeting uh, writers of uh, genre and commercial fiction, is that right? mm mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which I guess is small steps but you know it, 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 it's ev- it's everything, right? So I, I I read contemporary Australian romance and I'm like, there are no Asians here. <laughs> and, and when I go to work, like I look around work and I'm like, it's not all white people. I walk right. down the street in Sydney, if it's set in Sydney, and I'm like, it's not all white people. I go to the shops, I go to the bar, I, you know, it's not, it's not a monoculture and, and that's not represented in those books. And I feel like, you know, Part of it is that we are um, – it's a follow-on from the tradition of romance that was predominantly white that that authors sort of haven't really questioned. I um, mean, I love that we're in a time where we are questioning some of these um, assumptions about who gets to be uh, – who gets the starring role in these novels. And I just wish that in Australia we, we had writers' groups that maybe looked at that a little bit more closely and, and nurtured – the um, emerging writers that are doing that work. I have just finished reading a book called No Limits by Ellie Marnie. Um, and so this book had gotten a lot of um, talk on Twitter and, and and people whose reading tastes um, I trust and kind of align with mine have raved about this. Um, I've just kind of put it off because a for some reason from the cover, I thought it was some sort of mixed martial arts-like book, but it's actually rural, young adult suspense fiction with romantic elements and in Australia um we don't have new adult so anything that would be considered new adult in the in the U.S. is just young adult here um
0: oh that's interesting yeah, yeah those are not the same thing often
1: yeah we don't we don't have like no sex requirements for our young adult it's okay to have a little bit of um sexy times on the page um whereas I think in in the U.S. YA is a little bit um less explicit or less, like, anyway. Anyway, that's a totally different topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so I finished uh, reading No Limits by Ellie Marnie. So a few things stood out to me. A, it was written quite well. Um, B, um, it, it made the, the rural setting a lot more nuanced than what I would normally read. So it, it deals with domestic violence. So the hero is in a, in, um, his dad um, is, a, is a violent person. Um, and it really looks at how the community reacts to that um, and the fact that because it's a small town, everyone knows it's happening and everyone knows how to help, but they actually don't know how to help without making things worse for him. So they kind of help as much as they can and then everybody just sort of feels low-key guilty because they couldn't do any more because doing any more might then cause him more harm. Um, the other thing that I, that really interested me about it is that um, the heroine um, is a daughter of an Australian a white Australian um, doctor and uh, her mother is North Indian. So she's got one side of a family which is um, has a different culture to what you would normally see in a rural in any rural fiction actually in Australia, um, but you know especially in romance. Um, and, and, but not in a way that makes it the focus, in a way that makes it part of her life and um a logical part of her internal monologue because it's first person alternating um and it's just kind of so seamless but you know because it's so unusual to see it you look like the whole time I'm reading I'm just like nervous (laughs) that like (laughs) the author will write something that I'm just going to be like this is like terrible but it but she never does and so that was really great but you just feel this tension as a reader the whole way through, like, please don't stuff it up because I'm really liking this book. Please don't stuff it up because I'm really <laughs> liking this book. Um, and I'm not, uh, and I'm not from India, so potentially it, there might be issues that I didn't pick up. Um, but I, you know, I think it was, for example, if if it had been a Filipino, um, heroine, then I would be just like, please, <laughs> please get it right. Um, and the other thing also is that um, sometimes you're just so happy that you are represented in the book that you I will give a lot of um leeway for a character who is Filipino even if I don't fully um agree or understand their 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 the the way the author has written them just the fact that there's a Filipino on the page I'm like yes this is already like you know a victory for us I think I used
2: to do that for like American books that had an Australian and I'd be like "Ah,
1: yes there's Emma Darcy books right (laughs) jennifer
2: crazy don't look down i was like yes the australian he's a bad dude but he's there also a white dude didn't matter (laughs) i just was really (laughs) excited
1: (laughs) but you know we miss out on so much as well like rudy and i and a friend of ours Vasiliki, who's greek um we went out for dinner one time and we started talking about kinship relationships um and the kinship relationships it, for Filipinos for Greeks and for Aboriginal people they're different they're really different and you could construct an entire romance series just based on these kinship rules like Rudy and Vasiliki's <laughs> kinship rules are just like so much more complex than mine like I thought we were already a little bit you know we we have some extended family um, issues that we, we would we would have to work through but theirs is like level up like two levels up from ours
2: <laughs> i mean i work from a really flattened um sort of general version but even that i have noticed general <laughs> version even that i've noticed is like <laughs> deeply complex to other people and i i've had conversations with friends where i've just like we've not quite understood why i will refer to myself as not an aunt and they're like but your brother doesn't have kids and i'm like no i know but my cousins do and then they're kind of going but how can you be like that's not that's not how it works. And like that might not be how it works for you, but it's how it works for me. Like I've got nieces oh. and nephews for sure.
0: I understand the concept of kinship rules because i I understand it, but could you explain it to someone who may be listening who doesn't understand exactly what that means?
2: so my my general flattened version is that it's the way that your family is organized, which dictates the way that you treat each other. Um, right. the responsibilities and the roles that you take on within the family. So your mother's sisters are also your mother and same way your father's brothers are your father. so your father's sisters are your aunts and your mother's brothers are your uncles. That's how it should be. We like I don't even I don't do that really. I just do like my mum's siblings are my aunts and uncles. Their kids are my cousins. My cousin's kids are my nieces and nephews because, like, my cousins are kind of my siblings.
1: That's how it right? works for us too.
2: And then in the same way that my my mum's cousins are my aunts and uncles, yep. their kids are also my cousins slash siblings. Like...
1: Yeah, occasionally I'll go to Wikipedia to figure out what the official, like, first, second cousin once, twice yeah. removed is, but whenever I mention it to Filipinas just, or just yeah. like that doesn't But
2: Then you've also kind of got to bring age into it because like I'm, you know, I'm right smack in the middle of my Nan's grandkids. And there's fifty three of us, I think. I yep, I'm gonna go with that. And if there's more than like Susbubs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I'm right in the middle, which means that I've got cousins who've got kids that are my age ish. I've got cousins who are actual babies and then I've got cousins who are having babies. So I kind of adjust who I will give that like honorific of auntie and uncle and who I would expect auntie and uncle from based on like where they fit kind of within the scope of our, our generation. Like how much older am I than them and how much older are they than than me? And then there are a few people that like, I probably am breaking rules by being like, really casual about and i i will use like their like baby nickname and then people the same age as me will be calling them uncle or aunt and i'm like that's cute but like no <laughs> <laughs> they're still like we're still on the same level me and me and this one are still at the same level because like it just is how it is
1: but then it, it gets even more interesting and complicated when you start talking about well who is allowed to marry whom <laughs> so I think, it, I think out of the three of us, the Filipino rules were actually <laughs> the least complicated <laughs> <laughs> because when Basilica and Rudy started explaining theirs, I was just like, this is so complex. So complex. I just, <laughs> I just have a
2: rule that if he's like, if someone's a Murray or a Kuri, like they're off limits. Like it just isn't worth it. <laughs> Cause we, I, I don't, I don't want to find out and it happens. And it's a big joke amongst like our community that you'll be like, you'll be dating somebody and then you'll kind of do the family treat. Like you've got to do the family treat early. You really do. Um, and it's like, like it's, oh, it really is. <laughs> because like, like we're like 3% of the population like, that's not a lot of options, really.
1: You don't want to come to the family party and everyone's like, you two should not be dating.
2: Well, I have <laughs> I have a friend and she, you know, she um, she grew up kind of being like, you know, I'm not going to marry any, like, I'm not marrying up with any black fellas, like none of this, because I'm not going to turn around and find out that we're related. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to find myself a white boy and thus, that'll be <laughs> it. Right. And that's, anyway, she's, you know. So she's with her partner and they've got a few kids and fast forward a few years and he's someone in his family, um, a grandparent had passed away and they started like going through the stuff in the attic and he finds that that not only is he actually Aboriginal, um, but he's the same nation as her. And then they were like, no. they were like, Yep, stop digging now. <laughs> like this, is... <laughs> Just they're, kind, like, guys. they're like we're not. Mm-mm. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> exactly, ignorance is bliss. This is this is where we stop that.
0: <laughs> oh no!
2: <laughs> so yeah, that's always. Every, I feel like every family has that. Of...
0: <laughs> yeah, so you have the kinship rules that sort of. Um, unify your family into much closer relations without this whole first first removed second removed yeah um but at the same time if you're creating a romance constru- structure out of that group it can be quite a challenge
2: pick someone from the opposite side of the country yeah. like just save yourself some money.
0: so how far west into western <laughs> australia are you So like 12
2: hours i'm sorry that's not other side of yeah like are you on the other side of the desert that's
0: fine you see it okay maybe we could maybe maybe we can talk have you met a quokka maybe we can so So,
1: yeah but so it's all these little subtleties of culture you know so philippines we still have princesses there so you could do a princess romance uh in uh featuring a heroine in the diaspora like there's just so many combinations that can pull together things that romance the romance community loves um and um, put it into this context where actually even those old tropes still work because culturally they still these elements still exist feuding Arra- families
2: yes oh my god like marriage get, of
1: convenience you, arranged yeah. marriage
2: um I I've got a friend um Sarah who I think I'm pretty sure listens to your show. Um, so hey Sarah. Sarah is hey. from um the she's from Moradry which is a warring nation with Camilla Ray. And I have occasionally <laughs> <laughs> I've occasionally tried to like convince her to date my brother and have them be like a Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> but ending happily. Yeah, yeah, no um, doubt. <laughs> but like warring, warring nations united by love. And she, every time, every time I say it, she's just like, mm-hmm, "Yeah." Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, we've got, we've got scope. We've
1: got huge scope. There's so many stories that are untold. Um, the possibility of princesses in the diaspora alone—I mean, that could be like a whole series. Yeah, but also when we talk diaspora, we tend to talk about second generation, so people who've grown up in the new culture. Um, and there are very few stories of people who, and I think one of the um one of the really great reviews I read about Kiss and Cry, um, going back to Kiss and Cry by Mina Esguera was by um I think her name's Aria, And she talked about how those elements of being um within one place but also without, in and out yeah. of of several places, just really um spoke to her and and made her think about her own experiences. And I think, I mean, I think that's almost completely missing from romance fiction.
0: Yeah. There's one moment where the hero, um, everyone's talking about his temporary relationship with this, with this woman, because she never was permitted to have any relationships. And he thinks to himself, everyone's talking about it, but I haven't heard anyone talk about it. So that means all the text chains that are happening don't have me in them because I'm really not part of this group. And I was like, what a really subtle detail to communicate that feeling of I'm on your team yeah. and I'm here. I'm, this is where I was born. This is where I'm from. But I'm not part of this community as much as I think.
1: Absolutely. And I think that hero even goes home um, pretty frequently. Whereas yes. so my experience is I came here when I was um, just just about to start high school and I didn't go back for about 20, 20 years. So you get stuck in a time warp where your idea of what your um, your home, your original home yeah. and the original culture that you came from doesn't actually reflect the current time. And so I've had to do a lot of adjustment and um, rethinking about how I relate to the Philippines. And actually some of that work I've done through the romance class books because I'll read it and I'll go, oh, okay, I didn't realise – people do that now (laughs) but when you think about it you're just like why wouldn't they do that now like you know what I mean um because you're like my parents way that they remember Philippine culture is also stuck in a time warp the communities we live in we all more or less came at about the same time so we're all in our little bubble of what being a good Filipino means Um, and it's not until you reconnect with Filipinos who are there now and you're just like actually this is not right this is not what we think it is i think one
2: of the most damaging things about sort of um white culture being sort of the dominant culture is that it encourages us to think that any any other group isn't actually evolving like it's there's this sense that to be aboriginal is to be traditional um which i'm sure is kind of the same for you of like To be Filipino is to be stuck in the what nineteen eighties. Wow,
1: it's so funny because when I was reading um Iris after the incident, one of the things that stuck out with me was that the heroine had an option to leave. I think and and live in the US, and she preferred not to take that option. Um, and when I left Philippines the option to leave would have been the most attractive option. A, we had just come out of um, martial law, so, you know, most people would, would, had been trying to leave for a while. But that whole, like, revelation that actually there are people who prefer to stay because they have full lives, all their friends are there, they don't want to give that up. Um, absolutely.
2: But, yeah, I mean, just the idea that sort of people people and groups and and culture can evolve um, and and be influenced like have outside influence impact what what it means to be part of that group like it's really easy yeah so like it's really easy to think that um if you're if you're going to come to australia and and meet an aboriginal um that they're going
0: to be god i don't even know like for an American, I think that for for at for, for Americans who are of my age and cultural experience, it might be that video with that really tall bald guy who was singing about a oh, bed's burning.
2: Oh my God! Yes, cat's <laughs> giving me a look, and it's like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> um, Midnight Oil, Peter Garrett. Thank oh, you. Peter oh Garrett!
1: God. Yes, all right went on that, to become that a crossed politician. That over and,
0: and there was all of this like very well-meaning, earnest DJs explaining what this song was about to like us in the 80s who didn't know anything. <laughs> um, so yeah. The, yeah, right. The, like, the broader understanding is is quite different.
2: And I think like kind of from what I remember of that film clip, like it's it's out in like really arid country. It's really flat. Everyone, um, like the Aboriginal people featured in it are quite dark-skinned. Um, And, I mean, like, Australia, well, like, Aboriginal people have kind of, there's a whole thing about colour that I really don't think translates into America, Um, and I think that we can get into a little bit of um, difficulty when, um, I'm going to say, predominantly when Americans um, see discussions that are happening within sort of um, groups of Aboriginal people online, um, who are talking about like who are self-identifying as Blackfellas, um, who have fair skin, and like I mean, literally, if you don't know any better, probably do pass for white. Like, I am one of those people where, like, if you know what an Aboriginal person from my area looks like, I don't pass for white.
0: If you oh, don't I know, when I met you. You told me you were yeah. Aboriginal. I was like, wait, what? And you were like, hmm, um, yeah, exactly. Like
2: when I am around blackfellas and I, you know, sometimes I get self-conscious and I feel the need to kind of say I am actually like, I am actually one of you. Like I'm part of this and they give me this look like, and have often said, obviously. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, cause I, I've gone through this kind of different thing of um, not noticing that I don't look Aboriginal to people who aren't. So as a right. kid, I, I, you know, I got told so often that I look just like my mum at her age, that I was pretty sure that I looked just like my mum at her age, and she is quite dark-skinned. Um, and then going to high school and realising that when I would say that I was Aboriginal, people were like, mm, okay, sure thing, um, and not believe me. So then I started to be like, oh, maybe I maybe I don't look Aboriginal. And then being told by Aboriginal people, when I when I get self-conscious and I say these things, they're like... Oh no, but you do though. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, I knew that as a kid. But people have undone me over the years. <laughs> All this is to kind of get to the point that even if we even if we have fair skin, we still use the term black. Um, and we still use the terms like we still use words like blackfoller to kind of differentiate often we will drop the C from those words because we do mean it in a very specific sense. Like we're not talking like we're not trying to kind of co-opt anybody else's space. This is this is the term that was kind of put on us. We've worked to reclaim it and we're not going to we're not going to cede that ground anytime soon. But it it definitely has caused difficulties for people in like individual kind of moments where someone has seen it and gone like, mm, but nobody, nobody who's talking right now is actually black. It's like to
0: you. Oh, that's a very strange phenomenon to have to define yourself. Yeah. And then argue with someone else's definition of you.
2: Yeah. And I mean, cause it sits within a very particular kind of understanding of Australian colonialism and what happened here. Yeah. It's a whole thing.
0: It is a whole thing, isn't it?
2: It's an exhausting We, we
0: definitely were going to talk about romance novels. And podcasts. Well, actually, my next question <laughs> for you is actually I would like to know what books you're reading that you want to tell everybody about. <laughs> that is my question. I want to know. Tell me about all the books that you've liked that you want to tell the whole world about. Well, not the whole world. Not that many. Books, no, but, but like, yeah. okay, well,
2: um, because earlier I was talking about like, you know, when you can't find yourself, you look for other ways to find yourself. Um, Really recently, I read Ghost by Robin Covington, who's a First Nations author in America. Mm -hmm. Um, And Ghost is a novella, it's MM, and it's about a First Nations comic, a graphic artist, graphic novel artist. God, I'm a dork, like I don't, I'm not into that, but um, so he's a graphic novel artist and he does this, like, incredible indie graphic novel, I think, online, um, and is kind of looking to get sort of um, picked up by a publishing house. But he's, like, deeply introverted for reasons. And, um, and then there's a guy who is, like, keen to kind of actually sign him to his publishing house. But they have a past they had a one night stand and feelings were hurt and it's just yeah so they they're sort of re-meeting at this point where they both kind of want something from each other and it's just it was really lovely to read like it was really affirming Aww. to read so ghost by robin 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 covington
0: it so, is the nicest feeling to listen to people talk about books that like hit them in a very specific way like it's the nicest thing to listen to so thank you
1: yeah you're welcome so I just finished as I mentioned No Limits by Ellie Marnie and previous to that I had um just finished reading Alyssa Cole's Off the Grid series so the final book of that uh was called Mixed Signals and I think that was my favorite of the series Um, Alyssa Cole is one of those authors where, like, I just have to be really careful when I read her books because, um, if I don't have the right opinion of her books, Rudy will disown me as a friend.
2: (laughs) The right (laughs) opinion is if you don't love them with your whole heart (laughs) and yell about them in the most glorious way. That's the right opinion.
1: (laughs) But so Mixed Signals was, um, I would say sort of, um, probably not my favourite, but, um, Alyssa Cole does a lot of work in that book trying to upend, uh, Very convenient um, shortcuts and stereotypes that we typically see in romance fiction. So she has to do a lot of explaining in a really, uh, in a way that sort of fits into the story, um, which I found really fascinating. And so when I finished that book, I actually found myself thinking about the characters throughout the week after, which I think, even if I didn't maybe fully engage with the story all of the time, I think having those lingering moments where you think about the characters and what they might be doing now I think that's that's also something that that says that the book spoke to me in a way that I that was really quite meaningful and then at the moment one of my super favorite authors Melina Marchetta is releasing a, (laughs) a new book next week so in prep- the new Melina Marchena book, I'm so happy for you. Okay, no, because <laughs> uh, oh, no. I'm not important enough to get like an advanced copy. But um, in preparation, and actually, I've been stalking the bookshop to see if they've gotten the box early, just in case. But no, they have not. Um, but in preparation, I am. Uh, I have just downloaded the audiobooks for Saving Francesca and The Piper's Son. Um, so my plan is to um, absorb those stories before I get to the book, which hopefully comes out on Tuesday or Wednesday. I also
2: just, like, we're doing a podcast about podcasts, so I'm going to throw in one podcast recommendation. Um, I would love it if you did. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, please. Um, Girl in Space is my current obsession. It's only, there's only 12 episodes. It's, um, It's an audio drama made by a Canadian writer um, and she actually, she plays the lead character. Um, it's so beautifully made. Like I, I don't normally listen to things at normal speed. I speed them up. This one, I decided to actually set it to a regular speed and listen to like everything. Cause it's so thoughtfully sound designed, but it's also so well written. And, um, I I think they're currently in production for season 2. So like there is a cliffhanger. Like when you get to the end of the 12th episode you are you are going to kind of sit there and be like, "Why did I start now?" <laughs> <laughs> but I spent I spent about 3 days listening to that podcast and I called my brother <laughs> who was thoroughly uninterested and told him about how much I love it and that I'd abandoned TV and books and everything for it. And he's just like, you're right. I'm not going to listen. Because <laughs> he's very supportive like that. Um, <laughs> but, like, it just, it's one of those ones that I, I would love, like, other people to be listening to it so that I can talk to them about it and, like, tell me who your ship is and... Um, cause I, yeah. And, and if you happen to also be into like Jurassic Park, like there's a little bit of a Jurassic Park element to it. It's just, it's really cool. I've not explained what it's about at all. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about, it's about a girl, um, who is alone on a spaceship, um, carrying out this research, this sort of research program and she's keeping an audio log and she just kind of, you know, she's, she's thoroughly alone and clearly has been for a long time um, and that's kind of where you start and all of a sudden there's um there's a blip on the on her radar so like after spending all of this time completely isolated just like not expecting to see or interact with anybody all of a sudden there's something coming and that's yeah that's sort of where you where you come in with the first episode and it's just it's so much fun just listen
1: just give it a a try my podcast is a little bit more shallow than Rudy's
2: (laughs) (laughs) no you listen to mine 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 is like if you if you want something like you want a story but you can't um you're not in the mood to read or like or like you want something that's a little bit kind of more more built than an audiobook like give girl in space a try but go on all right what's yours
1: (laughs) Mine's called Dick Flicks. Um, and I'll read you the tagline. The podcast where queer ladies pick apart dude movies for blood sport. So I have just discovered this podcast. I have just finished the episode that talks about the gayness of Top Gun. And it's so I, wish I could just so to you right now. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and I just it's it's a conversational podcast. So people who love listening to like um the Smart Bitches podcast, mm-hmm. I think it's it's a they would be quite familiar with this sort of format um and it's just you just want to like you just want to be in the conversation (laughs) with the host you just like but also like their opinions are so much better than mine so (laughs) it's just it's so funny and um it's a really great way to spend 30 minutes in commuting to and from work and not having to think too much about anything but yes, oh, I-, I need to re-watch I'm Top Gun after that. Right now.
0: And that brings us to the end of this episode. This was a long one and it's about to get even more awesome. I want to thank Kat and Rudy for hanging out with me and for talking. Uh, recording with folks who are in Australia and New Zealand is always fun with time zones because I'm bad at math. So thank you to them for A, putting up with my bad math, and B, making time with such a time difference. I will have links to everything we talked about, and we talked about so many things. So if there was a term you didn't quite catch or a concept you didn't quite gather, I I got links. I got lots of links, so do not stress. And I have links to their podcast because, of course, you're going to want to listen, right? Right. Of course. Now, a reminder, today's podcast is brought to you by The Friend Zone by Abby Jimenez and is brought to you And brought to life by the brilliant dual narration of Teddy Hamilton and Aaron Mellon. And at the end of this episode, I will have a special sample of the audiobook for you to listen to. If you like Penny Reed, Helen Huang, slow burn romances, rom-coms, and stories where the hero and heroine actually like each other, scandalous we know, this is the audiobook for you. After years of debilitating periods and fibroids, Kristen has decided that a hysterectomy is the only way to improve her quality of life, but when Josh shares his dream of having a big family, Kristen is convinced that she has no other choice but to keep him in The Friend Zone. The Friend Zone is the perfect summer romance that also honors women's health challenges and the wide-ranging emotions and pain that come along with them, while reminding us that regardless of what society expects from women... All of us deserve love. The Friend Zone by Abby Jimenez is available wherever audiobooks are sold. Find out more at authorabbyjimenez.com and get your aural romance fix from hashetaudio.com. If you have supported our podcast, Patreon, with any amount, thank you. If what we do has value and you enjoy the show every week... Pledges start at a dollar, and every pledge makes a deeply appreciated difference, keeps the show going, helps me make sure that everyone has a transcript, and you get to be part of a pretty goofy, excellent community who does a lot of fun stuff. So have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. The music you are listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater, and she just sent me a playlist of new music, so I am very excited. This track is called Snug in the Blanket by Three Milestone. You can find out more about them at threemilestonemusic.com and you can find their album on iTunes. Before I get to the terrible joke, I do have some sad news. Many of you who are longtime podcast listeners would know that Orville, one of my cats, is our executive sound engineer, mostly because he liked to jump on the desk and stretch out and kick the sound box while I was recording or attempt to crawl into the sound box and eat the foam. Orville died very suddenly on Monday, and so this episode is dedicated to his memory. If you have lost a pet, I know how hard it is. It sucks. But it is worth it to have such lovely, helpful, sound box-kicking sound engineer cats in our lives. I do not have a, a cat-related terrible joke, but I do have a terrible joke because I always end with a terrible joke. What do you call fake potatoes? What do you call fake potatoes? Imitators. <laughs> so bad. I love it so much. <laughs> now, do not forget, at the end of the episode, in just a few minutes, we have a special audiobook sample introduction to The Friend Zone by Abby Jimenez, brought to you by our friends at Hashat Audio. Thank you, friends at Hashat Audio. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend in whatever time zone you are in.
3: Chapter 14, Kristen. Thank God, saved by the tow truck. Josh gave me a long look before he put his shoulder into the door to get out and meet the driver. I knew this wasn't over. He was going to keep asking. I couldn't do it. I wasn't going to lie, but I wouldn't answer. The truth wouldn't be fair to anyone. What was the point in telling Josh I was hoarding every moment with him? Why? My feet still tingled where he'd touched them. It radiated through my body like electricity, turning on everything as it went up. The memory of his strong, rough palms made my breath shudder. It was too easy to imagine those hands slipping under my dress. I'd wanted him to touch me, and he'd offered me a chance to let him do it. I couldn't say no. I'd let him because it was all I'd ever get. I put my heels back on, grabbed my purse, and got out to join Josh by the truck, He watched me as he talked to the tow truck driver, and I felt his eyes on me like they were hands. It was getting chilly. Past midnight, I stood hugging my arms as Josh signed some paperwork on a clipboard. He turned back to me and closed the space between us as the tow truck guy started hooking the car up to the hoist. Cold? Josh peeled off his jacket before I could answer and threw it around my shoulders in a halo of his cologne. I had to fight to keep my face neutral. The jacket was warm from his body, like it was him wrapped around me. Thanks, I said. I'm sorry this happened. You have work tomorrow morning. I'll be okay. He rubbed my arms over the jacket, trying to warm me. He never touched me, and now he touched me twice in a matter of minutes, like some unspoken boundary had dissolved. I wished he would slip his arms around me. He looked like the kind of man who gave great hugs, bear hugs, the kind that enveloped you. For a second, I wanted to ask him if I could hug him. I bet he wouldn't say no, but I'd already played with enough fire for one day, and that would be crossing a line. The foot rub had been crossing a line. But God, I wanted the hug. I wanted it so badly the pull toward him felt physical, like the ocean dragging against your ankles when the tide pulls back but I had to maintain boundaries for so many reasons, Tyler being the least of them. Josh nodded to the car. I'm having it towed to a shop by your house, so we can get a ride with him and then just walk the rest of the way home. The tow truck guy spoke over the sound of clinking chains. You kids are gonna have to lap sit. I got my dog with me. My eyes flicked to Josh's, and I shook my head quickly. No, I can't sit on your lap. The words were coming out of my mouth before I knew what I was saying. But I couldn't. I really couldn't. If I sat on his lap, the temptation would catapult me. I'll look for an Uber. I started punching into my phone, opening the Uber app. What? Are you serious? He asked. Yeah, we don't fit in there, so no choice. He made an impatient noise. Look. I've got to be at work in a few hours. I'm still an hour from getting home if I leave right now. Can we just do this? I shook my head, staring at my phone. I got an Uber. Then the driver immediately canceled the trip. Fuck! It was the area. Nobody wanted to come to this part of downtown this late. It was too dangerous. Then go. I'll be fine here. I'll call a cab. Josh's eyes bored into me. I could feel them, but I didn't dare look up. Kristen... We're practically in skid row. I'm not leaving you here. If you stay, I stay. And if you make me stay, you're making me lose sleep. I looked up at him, my eyes pleading. I can't sit on your lap. I said again. I didn't bother with an excuse. I didn't like to lie. Let him think this was about Tyler. He raked a hand through his hair, shaking his head. I don't get this, Kristen. You're way too practical for this. We have a ride. He's here now. We'll be at your house in 15 minutes. I don't care if you sit on my damn lap. I've got a boyfriend. Not an excuse, not a lie, completely factual. Well, I'm not going to tell him this story if you're not. Let's go. He started for the door of the tow truck, his tone final. It was wrong. It was wrong because how much I wanted it made it wrong. A 15-minute ride sitting on Josh's lap? It would be an eternity, and I would love every second of it and hate myself for it. I looked around desperately like a cab might suddenly appear from the shadows. Instead, the taco truck tapped its horn as it drove past us, leaving the lot. Even Marv had disappeared. The vacant lot with its dim lighting and wall of tents immediately looked menacing. We didn't even have a car to sit in and wait while I tried to get a taxi to come get us. He was right, we had to take this ride. I let out a breath, stealing myself for what I had to do. Josh got in first, sliding in next to an old white-faced golden retriever who took up most of the cab. I was hot suddenly, really hot. I took off his jacket and folded it over my arm and climbed in after him, He pulled me onto his knees, strong hands on my waist, and I draped the jacket over my lap. Josh leaned over to close the door, his chest pressing into my body, and I held my breath at the contact. Fuck, I can't do this. It was sensory overload. So much of him at once I felt dizzy. I wanted to leap off his lap and into the parking lot where I would be safe from myself. But he was the sun. His gravity was too strong, and now that I was so close, I couldn't get out of his pull. He slammed the door and sat back against the seat, while I perched sideways on his knees, my back stiff, trying to keep my breathing steady. He made an exasperated sound, like I was being ridiculous, and pulled me closer until my shoulder pressed into his chest. He wrapped the seatbelt around us, folding into me as he did, and buckled it in. The cab smelled like dog and gasoline, and Josh. His breath tickled my cheek. There, is that so bad? He asked, his voice low. It was terrible, so fucking terrible, because it was wonderful and it was so much more than I could handle. He was warm and firm and he smelled incredible, It made me want to rest my head on his shoulder and nuzzle his neck with my nose. And if I did, and he tipped his head down, I'd kiss him and there would be no stopping me. I couldn't even look at him. We were so close together that if I did, I was afraid our lips might touch. I tried to relax. I leaned back into him, acting like none of this was a big deal, while I secretly obsessed over every point of contact. The back of my thighs on his, the hand that he had set on his knee, where his fingers absently grazed my leg, the arm he had casually wrapped around my waist. It felt like we sat there for hours before the guy got in and started the engine. Part of me relished every second sitting there so close to Josh, The other part of me was tortured, teased. If things were different, if my uterus didn't make us an impossibility, if I didn't have a boyfriend, I'd have kissed him right there where he sat, in front of tow truck guy and old dog, and I wouldn't have thought twice about it. But things weren't different. They were what they were.